He's from the hard-hitting world of ice hockey. She's from the red carpets of Tinseltown. Together, they are two of the leading executive producers in Hollywood. Responsible for mega hits like Hoosiers, Sudden Death, and the Oscar-winning Ray. A true sports and entertainment power couple. Meet Karen and Howard Baldwin. This is Pucks and Paparazzi with your host, Stephen Maggi. Howard Baldwin has owned teams in the National Hockey League and World Hockey Association. Karen Baldwin has been an actor and TV reporter. This is a real dynamic duo. Now, let's drop the puck and turn the lights. Here's the host of Pucks and Paparazzi, Stephen Maggi. Well, on this episode of Pucks and Paparazzi, we've got a guest. Uh, besides Howard and Karen, we've got Upton Bell. Now, if you've listened to Sports Rock and Tours, you know who Upton Bell is. He's the author of President the Creation. He's Burt Bell's son, the great NFL commissioner from the 1940s and 50s. He's also been an NFL scout, general manager, World Football League owner. We'll talk with him and uh, about that at some point. A sportscaster, a newscaster, and it's good to have Upton here because this topic is really big right now, and it's women and minority in sports. And the question becomes: Are women and minorities got the? Are they in the proper place where they should be? And I want to start with Howard, because, Howard, you actually were kind of a pioneer in this. As I recall, you were the first person to hire a female announcer in hockey and a female general manager in football. Well, yeah, way way back in the day when Upton and I were infants and poor Karen wasn't even <laughs> born. Well, not four. She's probably blessed. Uh, I, I did hire the first year of the Whalers. We hired a broadcasting team of Stan Fisher, who was a well-known hockey writer then and more so now, and his wife Shirley to do the color on the Whalers games. And Shirley was unbelievable. She knew as much about hockey and the nuances of the sport as anybody you could ask for. And I think people really enjoyed it. And then when we did the World Football League and we hired Babe Perilli, who Upton knows well, he said, you know, there's a great girl, Dusty Rhodes, who knows football as well as anybody. And, um, you know, give, talk to her and see if you might want to hire her. So we did. And, and and don't regret it for a minute. So I think I think um, women and um, have a definite place in sports and in a very important place. You know, you mentioned uh, the the first female commentator, Stan Fisher's uh, wife. What was the reaction from the fans? Because that was unheard of at that time. They liked it. They never complained. Um, now. It wasn't easy to complain in those days. You didn't have social media. You know, you didn't have a lot of the, the mishikash that we have now so that everything is in, instantaneous. If you don't like something, you send a tweet or an email or whatever. But certainly there was no articles written negative about it or anything like that. You know, as far as the female general manager, that was really unique because it kind of led the way for Amy Trask with the Raiders. And, you know, she was a president and an attorney of the team. But, again, hockey and football, two of the most masculine sports out there, and yet being pioneers. Karen, I'm kind of wondering, because I know you were in sports at an early age as well. 
was that inspiring for you? Was that important to you? It, it was. I mean, I, I was born in 64. Um, and, you know, so it was only shortly thereafter, Title IX. And, you know, there were certain sports that had never been available to girls at school before that were suddenly available. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I sort of looked at the schedule for today and I thought it's ironic because here I am, you know, and you three guys, and that's about the right ratio. <laughs> Men are really, you know, women are outnumbered in sports, probably more than three to one. Um, but I think things are changing and starting to loosen up, and we're seeing more and more um, females in in key positions um, that they've not yet, you know, been in in sports before. Uh, so I think things are changing, um, and I think, sure, it's inspirational for the next generation to, to not feel they're restricted in any way, shape, or form. Well, Upton, when you started with the Colts as a scout and even uh, hanging around your dad in the early days of the NFL, is this something you kind of thought that eventually would happen? And uh, was there a lot of uh, feedback, uh, you know, and kind of a pushback from uh, the NFL uh, fathers at the time? Well, the, the, ironically, and then listening to, to Karen and Howard, uh, I knew the three women that, that became part of the history of pro football. One was a woman by the name of Violet Bidwell, uh, whose husband owned the Chicago Cardinals and actually dropped dead of a heart attack uh, when the Cardinals were in their heyday in the 40s. Uh, she was the first re- real owner in the NFL, and then she married this guy, Walter Wolfner, uh, who was a pain in the you-know-what, and uh, she died very, very young, but she was the first. And then another person who Howard and Karen would be familiar with was Georgia Rosenboom Frontieri, uh, who was uh, really Georgia Hayes when I met her. And actually, uh, I was the intermediary for Carol Rosenboom uh, when he was dating her, and then he finally married her. And, of course, he died, and she became the president of the Rams uh, in L.A., and then went to St. Louis, and of course, the, the one that Howard did, and, and uh, I have uh, great familiarity with, with Dusty Rhodes, in that she was uh, John Mazer, who I kept trying to fire, uh, but she was essentially his secretary, but basically more than that. I mean, she learned and, and knew a lot of football. A lot of people don't know uh, this Howard and Karen and Steve, but Dusty Rhodes is related to the famous Dusty Rhodes of the New York Giants uh, baseball team who hit all those home oh, yeah. runs and, and, and very, very famous. But when Howard did it, I was not in the World Football League yet. Howard had talked to me about it, but I had made no decision. And when I saw that uh, he had made her general manager, I said, wow. I said that my first reaction was, What's that going to be like in Boston? Because they originally, uh, the, the Boston team, uh, before Howard took them to New York. And I said, well, on one hand, I know Dusty. We didn't necessarily get along uh, at the Patriots, but I know she, she's really qualified. And, uh, and I, I was surprised, uh, not so much that Howard would do it, because Howard and I are, were kind of the same age coming into a game that was a bunch of old men, and that was the National Football League. And in doing a new league, not only the WHA, but then the World Football League, uh, basically it was a chance-taking league, 
And uh, I thought, well, damn it, good for him. He did it. Uh, and then ironically, uh, I ended up taking over the team, Howard in, in New York, and, and bringing it to Charlotte. And there was Dusty. And I said, now what the hell do I do here? Uh, I know she's good. Uh, I don't always agree with her on things. But I'm really going to be the general manager of the team. Uh, so what, what is there a role left for her? And there really, there really wasn't a role left. In fact, ironically, I told her, uh, Howard earlier this week, basically, she's pretty damn sharp. She, she, you talk about a woman thinking like a man and, and the vice versa, but she actually kind of sensed that, that I was not going to keep her. And she actually tried to buy a group, uh, put a group together to buy the team and, and, and <laughs> say to me, the hell with you, I'm going to own the team here. It didn't work out. She came back to Boston, and now over all these years, she's one of the most successful executives in a town that really didn't like the National Football League, really except women in, in top positions, and still to a degree doesn't today. So I, I think it was something that really opened the doors, uh, kind of opened my eyes uh, to the possibility of it. And, you know, I, I always read this, and I will not use the woman's name, uh, but when I first went to the Patriots, uh, I saw the, the PR director was not doing his job. I know he was friendly with the press, and I said, I, w- I want to get rid of this guy. And so I did. I fired him. And uh, the woman who was really his assistant, I said, she is better than anybody in this business. She knows what the hell she is doing. Uh, you know, I, I really, and I went to my assistant general manager and I said, you know what, she, this woman really is basically more talented than anybody in that, in that group. Uh, but I said, do you think they'll accept, there, there were no women personnel people in the NFL, publicity directors. And I said, I just don't think I can do it. I don't know whether Boston would accept it. Uh, you know, I know Sullivan wouldn't, but I didn't really care what the hell he thought by that time. <laughs> and and basically, I never did it. And I will tell you this. To this day, I regret it because eventually, after I left, uh, she eventually left the business. And she never showed up because Don Shula wanted to hire her before she came to the Patriots. He thought she was that good. But if there was that regret, it would be that I never had enough guts at the time to make her the publicity director. So really, I, I think that Howard started a trend. Uh, I think you'll see more of it. Uh, but the NFL, basically, I can't talk as much for hockey, uh, but the NFL is still, in my opinion, resistant to, to women, to, well, to a great degree, although they just, uh, just appointed a woman as, a, as an NFL official uh, an African-American woman to it, and I say, good for them. But it's like everything else, and I, I know Harry and Karen can speak to it, but you almost have to carry them kicking and screaming to a decision to give women a better chance. Well, that's my question to Howard. I mean, was it really gut-wrenching, or did you just not give it a thought? I mean, because you were a trailblazer. Were you thinking that was a, one of those things at a time? Or, in all honesty, was it a, a situation where... 
might be good to have a new uh, a new league. Let's do something that the other league won't do at the time. Yeah, it's the second thing you said. It's a new league, new ideas. Let's try new things. It's as simple as that. And it worked. You know, the, the, the team itself moved, I think, three times in two and a half months. <laughs> but that's through no fault of... That's no fault of Dusty Rhodes and Shirley Fischler went on and had a great career working with Stan and writing. You know, Karen, were these people inspirational to you? Because you did quite a bit in the world of hockey. Uh, that's how you guys met. Was that something that uh, you wanted these? I mean, you mentioned before that, you know, it's three guys and you. And that is sort of true. It's getting a little better than that. But was that, was that something that kind of that did the challenge appeal to you? Yes, and I think from from a female perspective, at least the way I feel about it is you would like to think there's an equal playing field in that you are being hired um, because of your qualifications. In other words, I wouldn't just want to be hired because I'm a woman and they're looking for a quota system and to have whatever and to make sure they can say, look how diverse we are. I think that's equally as insulting. I would like not to not be hired, though, because I'm a woman. In other words, if I, I'd like for the hiring to have to do with my ability, um, not the fact that I'm a female or not a female. Um, and I think most people feel that way, too. I think um, people lose sight of the fact that if you're a woman or a minority, you don't want to be hired just for that reason. To me, that's as insulting as not hiring me. I think that's a great point. And it moves to a race also. This is a problem where, on the one hand, we want to encourage people to, to hire diversity and so forth. But how do you do it without putting right. up a quota system? Things like this, and I'll just be quick and then up then, I'm sure. The most effective change is that change that is evolutionary and that is, is built and not forced. And, and I think the pro sports leagues are getting the message and are doing a pretty darn good job. And, and I know in hockey, they're trying hard. We're, we're closer to hockey up since probably close, not probably is closer to football. But I know hockey's trying to do it. They got um, uh, females in coaching positions, executive positions, and in good, important positions. And they're good people. They do a great job. They're doing a great yeah. job. And also, sorry, but the female the in hockey, I think that the Olympic team and, and the success yeah. of that team didn't hurt any. It sort of reminded people, hey, there are women who play hockey as well. Uh, and that sort of brought a lot of attention to hockey as a sport for women as well as for men. Now, obviously, you know, the profession, we don't have a, a, you know, in the NHL, there are not women as players. But I think that at least sort of the visual of those women doing as well as they did says, you know, there's room for everybody here. Yeah, I think that's a great point, and I kind of want to get Upton's take on all this because, Upton, you you also were kind of a trailblazer at the time. You worked for teams that started putting, uh, first of all, getting uh, more African-Americans on the field, but then beyond that, into the world of coaching, into the world of the executive offices and so forth. But I know you feel there's a long way to go. Well, I, th I think there is, but I, I think what Howard says is is true in that that it should happen through evolution uh once you begin to try and force something then then people resist and i i do go back again to howard's move with dusty Rhodes and the world football league if there's one thing 
uh, that I enjoyed. And I tell people this. And I said, I lost a lot of my money. I said, uh, the league didn't make it. I said, but for all the years I was in the NFL, more revolutions happened in the World Football League because basically <laughs> the people that didn't necessarily run out of money uh, basically had a lot of young thoughts. For instance, the first, the first thing I did is when I went to Charlotte, I appointed a woman uh, in charge of all the money. And I thought, that this is a good idea. Nobody's going to steal from this woman. She was the ticket manager and the business manager. And uh, basically, I think because, again, I go back to Howard and I were a lot younger than the people that were either in ownership in either one of our lakes uh, or, or in uh, top positions, that my thought was in my 30s that basically, that, you know, this, this has got to go. Uh, all, all of these different things that are set up as roadblocks to all people. And one of the other things that I learned was the reason that the AFL really caused the merger with the NFL, partially like any merger, like Howard did with, with the WHA and the NHL, it's money. In the end, no owner wants to lose money, and the, and the leagues were costing them money. But, but the other thing uh, that really happened is the AFL really – went out and went to all, and, and I started to do it. I started to follow them. They went out to all the African-American schools around the country, and, and they drafted and signed those players as free agents and draft choices, and that became the focal point of their league. I actually thought before the merger in 1970 of the NFL and, and the AFL, the AFL was a much better league. Their players were better. <clears throat> They, they weren't necessarily from Alabama or Mississippi or Ohio State. <clears throat> they were from Grambling and, and uh, different schools around the country, but they drafted uh, purposely top players that wouldn't probably have been drafted in a more white NFL league. The other thing is, uh, including Amy Trask, there were more women in the AFL and, and more minorities in front office positions. But it happened... In, in an evolutionary standpoint. And basically, now today, you have the NFL that is, even even with the criticism, is beginning to move in the right direction, with the exception is they have to figure out what to do. Because I, I know this personally. As, as Howard and Karen know hockey, I know football. And I can tell you right now, there are eight or ten African-American coaches that I would hire that are still assistant. But, but again, back to the evolutionary uh, thing, I think it should happen naturally. And in some leagues like the NBA, it does. Uh, but again, it all started uh, with a woman by the name of Dusty Rhodes. Mm-hmm. I just want to ask all three of you, as we kind of sum up this topic, and you all were trailblazers. You were some of the first people doing these things. Does it come down to courage, and I, and I don't mean courage of white males doing some, but just courage of like, wow, I'm going to do something. I know it's the right thing, but again, it is a business. Do you worry about uh, pushback from crowds or something? And you, do you have to kind of know in your mind where we are as a culture to to what will be uh, accepted, which ultimately it has to be, by all the the customers? My answer is I never worried about it for one second. Now, it's probably because I was so young and stupid, but I just, I never worried about it. 
and uh, it felt right, and it was right, and um, that's the way it was. And uh, if I had to do it again, I would certainly do it again. How important is it for the leagues to encourage that kind of thing? Because, like you said, you were young, you looked at the world in a different way, and, you know, you grew up in this world uh, too, Upton. How important is it for the league to try to to do something as a league to try to encourage that, to bring in people that are willing to take some chances and so forth? Well, if you you can't change you. I, I've always said there, there are two classes in professional sports. There's the owners and the rest of the people are renters. Uh, and so, therefore, it's on, on the move of the owners. Howard was an owner. That's right. So, so he could he could speak as an owner. I could not speak as a, a, as an owner until such time as I owned a team. And when I owned a team, I did as I pleased. I didn't give a damn what anybody else thought, and right. I, I never right. really did. Never did, and that's what got me in trouble here uh, with with a really kind of crazy ownership group. If I if I had walked in and said, I am promoting this woman to head of publicity. And, and, and as, as Howard knows in those days, I mean, we, we had like 100 newspapers covering us from a six-state area. If I had walked in to that ownership group and said, I am appointing a woman to this, they'd have thrown me out of the room. They threw me out anyway. <laughs> but but then, then when, I had, <laughs> when I had my opportunity, like Howard, Youth thinks in a different way. Youth is more willing to take chances. Youth is, is mm-hmm. more willing to listen to women, people of color, uh, because they know when they grew up. I, I will leave you with this. The, the greatest lessons I learned about race had nothing to do with what my father or mother or anybody else told me. It was on the basketball courts of Philadelphia when the predominantly great players, even in the 50s, were African-American. And this guy walked over to me one day, on, on the track, and he said, let me tell you what the story is of this game, man. He said, if you win, you stay. If you lose, you get your ass off. He said, I don't care whether you're white or black. And that was the greatest lesson I ever learned, because <laughs> it's true. I'd love to close with talking to Karen about something. Karen and Howard, of course, are a big part of what they do is in the movie business, obviously producing movies and getting involved, creating series, television shows and so forth. And Karen is working in that industry and, and, and coming from a world of sports where you saw all this and kind of the difficulty to get this thing going. Is that something you guys look for when you're trying to tell a story to maybe be able to kind of show people where they were? I know we're going to talk uh, later this year about the uh, ABA project that you have on there. And a lot of that is just going to show where how important sports can be in taking over some of these cultural questions. Yeah, I, I think very much so. I think also what I'm noticing is um, before there's real change, before old traditions are replaced with new ones, There's usually um, a lot of talk and a lot of rhetoric. And for the last several years in particular in Hollywood, um, there's been a hue and a cry about, you know, more diversity, more female directors, um, you know, more of an ethnic mix to the cast. and, And I see that just starting now to actually be for real. 
In other words, I think for the first couple of years, we hear about it, we talk about it, people's intentions are good, but it's always hard to really be the person to do that differently and take a chance. Um, it's not easy to sell a project with a female lead. It's much easier to sell a project with a male lead. Um, but if you really are dedicated to getting a project done and you stick with it, we can change these old traditions and come up with new traditions. Um, much the same for, you know, for um, the actors. There's a lot more diversity now because I think for the last couple of years, people sort of, there was a hue and a cry. Um, we happen to have a lot of African-American projects. Um, they're not easy. Um, they don't sell as well foreign, um, you know, and there, there's a little bit, it's a little bit of a heavier lift. But knowing we're trying to change the system means you just got to you got to put up with that heavier list. And sooner or later, it becomes the norm instead of something out of the ordinary. Well, I think all three of you have really contributed to making the world a better place. And I really enjoyed talking with you about it. We're going to have to come back and do this again. Thank you all. And Upton, thanks for joining us today. Uh, all right, gang. Talk to you later. Thank you. All right, Upton. Behave yourself. Next time on Pucks and Paparazzi, we dig deeper into the lives of Howard and Karen Baldwin. You'll learn how they got started in the world of hockey, when they met, and how they made the transition from Stanley Cup hockey to Oscar-nominated films. That's next time on Pucks and Paparazzi. Thanks for listening. I'm Stephen Manchie. You've been listening to Pucks and Paparazzi. Join us next time for a fun, unique look at the worlds of sports and entertainment. Thanks for listening.